0: All right. Hi to our podcast listeners out there. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm Tony Fabiano, third year emergency medicine resident at University of Cincinnati. And I'm super excited to talk about this paper today. I like papers that challenge us, tell us something that we're doing dogmatically may not necessarily be the right answer or the only answer. I also like papers with patient oriented outcomes, papers that generate good discussion. This is all of those things. The benefit of this paper, too, for the purposes of this Journal Club-style discussion, is that it's not a perfect paper. There are some things to actually talk about in the methods and limitations that are worth noting, but I don't think it compromises the value of the data or the author's conclusions, so it's the best of both worlds. So without further ado, let's get into it. This paper was published in November 2021 in the Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery by Dr. Cole Vattenew, et al., the title of the paper is The Small 14 French Percutaneous Catheter versus Large 28 to 32 French Open Chest Tube for Traumatic Hemothorax, a Multicenter Randomized Clinical Trial. The authors of this paper aim to demonstrate that a 14 French percutaneous catheter, what we call a pigtail catheter, is equally as effective for drainage of traumatic hemothorax as a traditional chest tube. Now, this is interesting because it is in contrast with how we are classically trained to manage traumatic hemothorax, which is with a standard tube thoracostomy. Specifically, the authors used a 28 to 32 French chest tube as their comparison, which is also what we use at our institution. But these tubes can technically be as large as 36 French or 40 French. The presumption behind this is that these tubes with a larger internal diameter allow for better drainage of blood from the chest than a smaller tube would. The authors get a little bit salty about this in their description of Poiseuille's law, which you may remember learning about in medical school in the context of peri- peripheral vascular resistance or airway resistance. It's really relevant to anything that flows through a tube or tube-like structure. This law states that the flow of fluid is proportional to the properties of that fluid. And in this case, if theoretically both the pigtail and the standard chest tubes are draining the same blood, then this can be a constant And most importantly, the flow of that fluid or blood is proportional to the internal radius of the tube to the fourth power. So sure, the rate at which blood flows from the tube and therefore drains from the chest may be slower for a pigtail, but it will still flow. The authors comment that this may or may not have any clinical relevance, and actually their data shows the opposite as we will get to. But the real problem is clotted blood, as the authors point out, and even a 40 French tube will not drain a clotted hemothorax. With this in mind... Why bother to do the study at all just to challenge the status quo or upset the trauma surgeons? Maybe, but does it really even matter what kind of tube we use to get the blood out? Actually, the principal investigator on this topic has a very interesting reason for doing the study rooted in patient experience, which we'll get to in just a second. But first, let's talk about the primary and secondary outcomes. The primary outcome for this study was failure rate of the chest tube or pigtail catheter. The authors hypothesized that the 14 French pigtail catheters are non-inferior to traditional chest tubes in the drainage of traumatic hemothorax, and this was based on some previous work by their group in both a prospective study and a single-center RCT. Specifically, failure rate of the tube or pigtail was defined as a radiographically apparent retained hemothorax after placement of the pigtail or tube that then required additional intervention. That included placement of an additional tube, thrombolysis, or VATS. They measured a few secondary outcomes, which included drainage drainage volume at 30 minutes, drainage volume at 24 hours, and then again at 48 and 72 hours. They also tracked total days with the tube in place, complications from insertion, ventilator days, ICU length of stay, and hospital length of stay. As I alluded to before, this study was at least in part spurred by patient experience. Interestingly, the primary author states that he has had multiple family members and friends who have had experience with standard tube thoracostomy and described them as, quote, real-life pain and agony. I think we've all seen the patient in whom all legitimate attempts have been made to achieve both topical and systemic analgesia, and yet they are still in severe pain from the procedure of a standard tube thoracostomy. So with this in mind, the authors created something they dubbed the insertion perception experience score, or IPE score. This was designed to garner the patient's perception of the procedure insertion and was assessed at 30 minutes after tube insertion. This score is not externally validated and it was created by the authors for the sole purpose of this project. The scores ranged from one to five with one as the most tolerable and the five as the least tolerable. Specifically, the ratings were as follows. One, it was okay, I could tolerate it, I can do it again. Two, it was okay, but I would not wanna go through it again. Three, it was a bad experience for me Four, it was a worse experience for me. Five, it was the worst experience of my life. Now, as I said, the score is not externally validated, but is certainly a reasonable way to assess various interventions. It's easy to assess at the bedside, and it's something that patients can quickly and easily understand and relate to. Okay, so to recap, the primary outcome is failure rate of the pigtail versus the tube, and the authors hypothesized that the pigtail will be non-inferior to the tube. They're also measuring a few secondary outcomes and they've included a patient-oriented outcome of the IPE score, which the patient uses to rank just how unpleasant the experience was for them. Now, let's get a little deeper into the methods here. This trial was a multicenter, non-inferiority, unblinded, randomized controlled trial. Note that it was unblinded and I find this reasonable Theoretically, the tube itself could have been obscured by an overlying device outside the patient's body, but it would have been impossible and it would have impeded clinical care if attempts were made to obscure this radiographically. And of course, the placement of these devices is considerably different. Patients were included if they were 18 or older, hemodynamically stable, and suffered a traumatic hemothorax or hemoneumothorax that required drainage. Notably, in patients with hemoneumothorax, if the indication for placement was the hemothorax, then the patient was included. If the primary indication for placement was the pneumothorax, those patients were not included. Consider your most recent CT read of moderate left pneumothorax with traced left hemothorax, not those patients. Notably, there was no requirement for CT for these patients and no required minimum or maximum size of hemothorax dictated by the study. If they were deemed to require drainage by the attending trauma surgeon, then these patients were screened for inclusion. Patients were excluded if they are hemodynamically unstable or otherwise in extremis, emergent placement was required, the tube was placed in the operating room, or the patient was unable to consent or refused to participate. As mentioned, the intervention in question was the placement of a 14 French pigtail catheter and this was done by Seldinger Technique. It's worth noting this because these catheters can also be purchased with kits that allow placement with a trocar method. I'm not sure the popularity or prevalence of each type, but we have the kits with the wire for the Seldinger. This was compared to the standard 28 to 32 French chest tube using traditional thoracostomy. Both were placed at bedside by supervising trauma surgeon and or resident at the fourth or fifth intercostal space in the anterior or mid-axillary line. Lidocaine was injected for local anesthesia, and the physician's choice of IV analgesia was also used. After verification of placement with radiography in connection to negative 20 millimeters of mercury suction, the remainder of the tube management was left to the discretion of the attending physician. I actually really like this part of the study design. And honestly, I think it makes the study even more generalizable than some other RCTs. You know, sometimes we read literature where the study population is so rigidly defined and the methods are so rigid that it doesn't play out that way in the real world. For example, if the study had required that all patients receive pain-dose ketamine at 0.3 milligrams per kilogram, and you and I are reading this and saying, well, I prefer to use a milligram allotted, and my patients do well with that, or my institution only allows for 0.15 milligrams per kilogram of ketamine, et cetera, technically that means you're not doing things the way the study was done, and you can't really apply the results to your patient population. But allowing physician discretion with the choice of the IV medication allows for broader generalizability. Additionally, on the inpatient management side of things, the authors allowed for normal clinical decision making by whomever the trauma surgeon on rounds was at that time. They did not pre-specify a required volume of blood that would be designated a retained hemothorax or require daily chest x-rays or CT chest on a certain interval, etc. Once the pigtails or standard chest tubes were placed at the bedside, they were managed as they would normally be managed. And I like this too for the same reasons I just mentioned. It allows for normal clinical care to happen, and if you want to take this data and apply it to your patient population, you don't have to change anything about what you do other than the type of device you choose at the outset. So to round out the discussion and the methods here, we'll look at their pre-specified enrollment expectations. When they were gearing up to do this study and crunching all the numbers, a pre-specified non-inferiority margin was calculated, and the authors estimated 95 patients would be required in each arm to adequately power the study. They calculated this based on the failure rates of these devices quoted in the literature, which is around 30%. However, for a few reasons we'll discuss, the study was eventually terminated early, but the non-inferiority parameter for the primary outcome of tube failure was still met. As far as the results are concerned, I'm sure the authors were pretty excited about the results. This study went on for quite a while, over five years in fact, and they screened a total of 222 patients. Of these, 120 were ultimately enrolled, and you can see the breakdown in figure one of the paper. There was a, an approximately equal breakdown with f- 57 patients enrolled to pigtail and 63 to large bore chest tubes. There were no statistically significant differences in baseline characteristics between the two groups. Put simply, as you might expect, the majority of patients were middle-aged males with blunt trauma, as shown in table one. To break that down further, The mean age was about 56 to 54, around 80% male, somewhere between 75 and 80% blunt trauma and had a mean number of rib fractures around four and a half. It's also worth noting that there were four sites for this multicenter RCT and there was no statistically significant difference in the characteristics of the patients from each of those four sites. But as shown in table two, uh, that also plays into some of the limitations. The big shiny conclusion from this paper is the primary outcome, which is the failure rate of these catheters. The authors determined that the failure rate of the 14 French pigtail catheter compared to the 28 to 32 French large-bore chest tube was 11% versus 13% with a p-value of 0.74. In other words, not statistically different. Interestingly, the pigtail catheters actually had a larger output at 30 minutes and 24 hours, but eventually daily output was the same at 48 and 72 hours when compared to the large-bore chest tubes. There is no statistically significant difference in intervention failure rate, number of tube days, complication rate, progression of VATs, ventilator days, ICU days, or hospital length of stay between the two groups, as you can see in Table 3. For the secondary outcome of patient perception, the median IPE score for patients who had undergone pigtail catheter insertion was 1, with an interquartile range of 1 to 2, compared to a median of 3 for those who had undergone chest tube insertion with an interquartile range of 2 to 5, and this had a p-value of 0.001. That is not only a statistical difference, but honestly, it's a pretty significant clinical difference and patient-oriented difference. The fact that the average answer for the pigtail was essentially, it's okay, compared to, it was a bad experience, and ranging all the way to, it was the worst experience of my life for the chest tube, is a meaningful outcome. To call this a secondary outcome, I think is doing it a bit of a disservice, but that wording is purely academic, and I think many patients would argue that this would be the primary outcome of choice. The bottom line of this multicenter RCT is that as it relates to the primary outcome of failure rate, 14 French pigtail catheters are non-inferior when compared to 28 to 32 French chest tubes for drainage of traumatic hemothorax in hemodynamically stable adult patients. The authors, honestly, I think overstated a little bit with regards to their wording, uh, which they say equally as effective because technically the study is not power to say that non-inferior totally works for me and I don't think there's a need to overstate it. Of the measured secondary outcomes, there was no significant difference aside from the measured patient experience, and although the author's IPE score is not externally validated, it is a super pragmatic assessment of discomfort and pain on a five-point scale. Based on this, another reasonable conclusion from this article is that patients prefer the insertion experience of pigtail catheters over standard chest tubes. Something interesting to note from the study's data is that the failure rates of 11% and 13% for the pigtail catheter and the chest tube are considerably lower than the 30% average failure rate of chest tubes reported by the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma multi-institutional trial. The authors suggest that perhaps this is related to the fact that patients in extremis were excluded and therefore less severely injured with fewer ventilator and ICU days. And fewer complications. But whatever the case may be, this actually saved them at the end of the day and allowed the study to be powered to determine non-inferiority despite fewer enrollments than anticipated. So along those lines, this study does have a few very important limitations. First, hidden in figure one is the breakdown of patients who were screened and eventually excluded from the study population. 26% of those excluded were for physician preference, whatever that is, I mentioned before that I liked this study design because it allowed for normal practice patterns and variation, but I'm disappointed that around a quarter of patients who could have been included were not included due to this physician preference without additional supporting data regarding hemodynamics, demographics, etc., which would have created some bias in patient selection. It's also possible that the attending trauma surgeon on those days was just picky for no good reason, but we'll never know. With regards to the population selected, I found it very interesting that the output in the first 30 minutes and 24 hours was greater in the 14 French group. Hemodynamically unstable patients were excluded in, the, in this study, but this suggests that potentially a pigtail catheter would be favored in the hemodynamically unstable patient who may have tension physiology. Granted, I'm not exactly sure how to explain this in the context of Poiseuille's laws we talked about, but the data is the data. I think a good reason for now at least to leave this option off the table in unstable patients is that familiarity with pigtail catheters is generally less than with standard chest tubes, and an argument can be made that they take a little bit longer than the knife Kelly tube of standard thoracostomy. However, don't count them out altogether, as I think the use of pigtail catheters in more unstable patients may be the subject of future exploration by these authors now that we have these data. And just to touch on once more, since we're talking about limitations, the authors concocted their own patient rating system of the IPE score, which is not externally validated. And while this technically makes it less generalizable, it's still a very patient-oriented, useful metric. It's also interesting that the primary author on the paper shares experiences from family and friends who had chest tubes placed, and these have been painful. You could argue that this could introduce some bias, but at the same time, All good research starts somewhere, so why not use the inspiration from family and friends' negative experiences? The authors do disclose that part of the funding for the study came from Cook Medical, LLC, which is the company that manufactures the 14 French pigtail catheter that was used. The authors indicate the company had no role in the study, but this sort of thing can occasionally raise some eyebrows. Honestly, I'm not sure exactly how to feel about it. I think the data is complete enough that any shenanigans in the methods or results would have made themselves apparent, but I don't know for sure. And in general, I find it reasonable for a company to sponsor a trial to have their device used as long as there are not strings attached regarding the reporting of the data and the way the trial was conducted. This trial seems to be free of that degree of bias, but of course it is a study that had positive results in favor of the sponsor. I also wanted to point out that although this was a multi-center RCT, the breakdown of the sites in Table 2 shows that some of the sites enrolled far more patients than others. For example, Site 4 only enrolled four total patients over the course of five years, where Site 1 enrolled 80 patients. So yeah, it's technically a multi-center RCT, but the data presented may be weighted significantly to favor the practice of the dominant sites despite the equivalent patient population demographic breakdowns. Lastly, one of the most important exclusions is that this study was stopped early. The authors do address this and indicate a combination of slower than expected enrollment as well as the COVID-19 pandemic halting much of their research activity. While they did not meet their pre-specified enrollment of 95 in each arm for what they determined would be adequate power, they conducted an interim analysis that showed both the intervention and comparison groups had lower treatment failure rates than expected, which allowed for the non-inferiority threshold for their primary outcome to be reached despite this. So finally, to address the big question and why do we do and read research in the first place is, is this practice changing? Does it deserve to change your practice or are you never going to put in a regular chest tube again? Well, I would interpret it this way. I think this is a high quality study with some important limitations as we discussed and it's possible that in the near future, the practice of placing a 14 French pigtail catheter for traumatic hemothorax in stable patients may become more widespread. I feel that what's most impressive about all of this is the IPE score component. I think the patient perception of the experience is what really makes the case for operationalizing this data and putting it into practice as you have shared decision-making conversations and risk-benefit discussions with your patients. It would be reasonable to have this conversation with your patients like, look, traditionally for this blood in your chest, we would put in these larger tubes and show them the tube or gesture with your hands, the size of the tube. And that's a standard of care but there's some new pretty good quality data showing that the smaller tube again gesturing to show the tube size might be similarly effective there's no guarantee but patients in that study reported less pain and discomfort during the insertion process so i wanted to bring it up to you and have that discussion do you have any preference between the two or do you have any questions i think after that wherever your conversation goes and whatever the patient chooses would be a reasonable choice And although your practice may be largely guided by institutional variables outside your control, it would be reasonable to discuss the risks and benefits of each option with your patients and include the findings from this paper in that discussion. Thank you so much for your time listening to this podcast. Depending on how you came across this podcast, you may already be looking at it, but there is an associated and somewhat more brief article on tamingthesru.com in the journal club section that will hopefully be useful to you if you'd like to reference this on a shift or in discussion with a colleague or before having a conversation with your patient. That's all for me. Again, I'm Tony Fabiano, current third-year emergency medicine resident at University of Cincinnati. And, of course, special thanks to Dr. Jeffrey Hill, one of our assistant program directors, for putting this together and organizing all the editing and technical back-end stuff. Check out the website for more great Journal Club discussions, other on-shift resources and off-shift learning. And stay tuned for more podcasts coming soon throughout this academic year in 2022 and into 2023.